0: Well, good afternoon. Uh, Let me add my welcome to Sam's. We we have a few visitors here today. It's really great to see you, especially. I feel like I ought to apologize to Tim for asking him to read that chapter. Um, Some big names and lots of repetition. You will see that there's some method in my madness in a little while. We're thinking, we started a new series last week, a small series, only four, and we're thinking about Christianity being a new life. Um, We said last time, um, that our main problem often is not our circumstances. Um, if we want this new life, we won't find it by changing the thing around us. Um, we'll find it by having our insides changed by God's grace. The purpose of the Christian gospel is not to change superficial external things, but to give people completely new hearts on the inside, that's really what needs to happen and we said that this new life consists of four, at least four things, there are lots of other things but for the purpose of this series it, it consists of standing, which we looked at last week walking, fighting and running which in turn represent standing, a new identity walking, a new relationship fighting, a new purpose in life and running a new destiny. So this afternoon we're coming to think about the idea of the Christian life, the, the metaphor of walking as in a new relationship. We could have had crying as one of them, couldn't we? <laughs> it's okay. It's better to acknowledge it. and uh, We love to have children in our church. We have five of them, so uh, they don't sound like that now. But They all did at one point. Um, Now, well, that was a great link. When when we were kids, my dad had a very strange habit. Um, Whenever we went on holiday, he used to love wandering around graveyards. Uh, Very strange habit. It wasn't that he was morbid at all, far from it. His reason was that he used to love going round to look at the inscriptions on gravestones to see if he could find interesting or unique or inspiring ones. Um, he, yeah, I suppose you can learn a lot from the epitaphs on people's gravestones. Here, here's two or three. Yeah, I, I've maybe talked to you about some of these before. One guy had his wife's gravestone engraved with these words. Here lies my wife. Here let her lie now she's at rest and so am I <laughs> and just so you know that I'm not just picking on the women there one, one gravestone inadvertently said she lived with her husband 50 years and died in the confident hope of a better life <laughs> I'm not sure if that one was meant to be insulting but it it kind of is that way my, my favourite though was was this one. This always makes me laugh. This this was a widow, a a widowed young lady who was very enterprising and so she put on her husband's gravestone. Imagine this, sacred to the memory of Mr. Jared Bates who died on August the 8th, 1800. His widow, aged 24, who mourns as one who can be comforted, lives at number 7 Elm Street... (laughs) in this village, and possesses every qualification for a good wife. (laughs) I mean, that is just fantastic, isn't it? Well, I wonder what you would like to have as an epitaph over your life, if you could pick one. How would you want people to remember you? How would you sum up your life in a sentence? Well, we did read today, or we listened to Tim read, a very unusual passage in the Bible Genesis chapter 5 it is one of several Bible genealogies did you notice the odd one out though? and then he died and then he died and then he died and then he died and you get down to verse 22 and there's a little epitaph there over a man's life it says there that this man called Enoch walked with God imagine that as an epitaph on your gravestone your name and birth date and when you died and then just a the phrase there in inverted commas he walked with God what a description of a person's life it actually says it twice it's he, the, the writer emphasizes again in verse 24 Enoch walked with God we don't know a great deal about Enoch but this it seems is the defining story or narrative of his life it is an amazing comment it's only actually said of two people in the whole bible this, and they're, they're side by side the, the other one is Noah just into the beginning of chapter 6 um, and this uh, Noah was a righteous man blameless among the people of his time and he too walked with God um, Two, two men here who lived before Abraham, who lived before Moses, who lived before the Ten Commandments were even given, before the Bible was even written, and it's said of both of them that in their life they walked with God. So what we're going to do, there, there's a couple of things about Enoch that have really stirred my own heart this week, and I would love to share them with you. First though, we ought to think a little bit about what, uh, what it means to walk with someone so, here, here's what we'll do. Um, have we got a summary slide? Yeah, there, there we are. So, walking with God, what is it? Who can do it? And how do you do it? I can't, I'm, a, I'm a simple guy, and you can't be more simple than that. The what, the who, and the how. Okay? So, does that make sense? That's where we're going to go then. Okay, first of all, <laughs> what is it then? What does walking with God look like? In in a nutshell, here's my summary then. Um, No no one in the history of walking has really ever gone for a walk willingly with their enemy. You you just don't do that, do you? you? You don't go for a walk with someone that you don't like. You might be forced to, but you wouldn't choose to walk with an enemy. When you walk with someone, you walk with friends. In the, in the Old Testament, there's a prophet called Amos, and he said, Amos chapter 3, verse 3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? That's a lovely verse, that. Can, can two people walk together unless they've agreed to do it? So first of all, it implies walking implies friendship. And so we need to just stop and say something very important at this point. I, I think the Bible teaches that this is not our natural condition in fact after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden of Eden the Bible actually says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 that God came for a walk in the garden looking for them and do you know what Adam and Eve did they, they ran away and hid because they knew for the first time in their experience something of guilt and shame and vulnerability God came looking for them. He wanted to walk with them and they ran away and hid. That is the story of human life. We are not friends with God in our natural condition. We are his enemies. So how can anyone walk with God when in our natural state we're at loggerheads with him? Um, Just keep your finger in Genesis there. I just want to turn very briefly to one this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter five. One of the advantages of having these red church Bibles is I'll give you the page number, and it's one, one, six, one. So you don't need to fumble around with the content page. Two Corinthians chapter five, and verse 17 says this: "If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, new life." the old has gone the new has come and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation this is a man called Paul writing this so God has reconciled us to himself he's made us his friends when before we were his enemies he's done it through Christ And he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, that is Christ, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What Paul's saying there is that God has provided a saviour, Jesus, who came into the world with the intention of converting God's enemies into his friends, making worshippers out of rebels. And he does it through his death upon the cross. That's how we can be forgiven. And Paul says, I'm like an ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? Like someone from a foreign country who comes into your country and speaks on their behalf. Jesus comes from heaven like an ambassador. Paul comes with heavenly orders to say to people, please, be reconciled to God. Don't be his enemies. Come and trust him and be friends with him. So Jesus is the one, really, who kind of holds God's hand and holds our hand and joins the two together reconciliation you can't walk with someone who's your enemy so the first thing that needs to happen if we're going to walk with God is that we need to become his friends I think under this heading of friendship too it also implies something of faithfulness walking with God for a lifetime, I mean Enoch it says here I don't want to get so much into the ages here if you want to ask me about that we can talk about that afterwards but um, it says here Enoch walked with God for three centuries so he's not like, you know I I feel like a new walking companion I think I've talked about everything I can talk about with this one, I need a new buddy he walked with God for a long time it implies faithfulness it implies a settled state a way of life it implies walking through good times and bad times. Do you remember the very famous Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be a one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not always sunshine. Sometimes there are dark times. But Enoch walked with God through all the ups and downs. Um, I think also walking with God involves familiarity and affection. One writer says walking involves the closest personal communion with God, as if walking at the side of God. It's very intimate. Another author um, contrasts walking with God with just living, as he calls it, he says this expression became a common description of the life of fellowship and obedience with the Lord as if to say that walking with the Lord was a step above mere living so it involves friendship secondly it implies purpose did we have this one here we go look at that it's magic it implies purpose when you're walking you're not standing still but making progress aren't you Even if you're a slow walker, you tend to go somewhere, one foot in front of the other, and you're making progress. Walking with God is a journey through life that is one of growth and progress. There's a lovely verse in the Old Chestnut Book of Proverbs, the Wisdom of Solomon. And uh, in in there it says, um, I never made a note of the verse. I think it's Proverbs chapter 4. Maybe verse 18. It says, The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. What a, what a great picture that is of someone who is walking with God and the light is dawning increasingly as they journey holding God's hand. It isn't a walk into darkness, but a walk into increasing light. Those who walk with God are on a trajectory of increasing light and happiness and progress. It's not a straight line necessarily. There are lots of ups and downs, but the path is one of progress, purpose and growth. And the last thing I wanted to say about walking is that it implies satisfaction. Um, One old writer um, says that walking with God is honourable, happy and profitable. Only an old writer could say that, couldn't he? One, one old writer said that. Walking with God is honourable. I really like that. Sometimes, uh, if you're on Facebook, you know, friends sometimes post selfies of themselves with some famous person. Just this week, one of my teenage friends put a picture of himself. He's a teacher, lives in the Northwest, and the ex-England cricketer Matthew Hoggard must have come into their class. And there's a picture in there, all suited and booted, with his arm around Matthew Hoggard, selfie. Matthew, he loved cricket as well. He we used to play cricket in his back garden. Um, we, we have this excitement, don't we, when someone we know meets someone who's really famous. But what about this? To walk with God is a million times more than having your picture taken with a celebrity, isn't it? To know the living God as father, friend and to walk through life in intimacy with him is the most incredible privilege, isn't it? One writer says, we consider people as honourable who associate with great men on earth but the Christian has higher company than earthly monarchs. He walks with God himself and God is not ashamed to call him or hear his friend. And the end of it is glorious as well. In Enoch's case, it says in Genesis here, it's a bit mysterious, but it, it seems that Enoch didn't die. He walked with God, then he was no more because God took him away. We'll come back to that. But the end of this walk is very glorious one little girl was um, learning about Enoch in Sunday school and she got home and was trying to tell her mum and um, she said to her mum the teacher at Sunday school today told us about Enoch and how he walked with God and her mother said well what about Enoch and she said well it, it was something like this every day God would come by Enoch's house and say to Enoch, Enoch do you want to go for a walk with me and Enoch would say sure and he would come out of his house go down the gate and he'd go walking with God And he got to the point in his life where he enjoyed it so much that he'd be waiting at the gate at the end of his house every day. And God would come along and say, Enoch, let's go for a walk again. And then one day, God came by and said, let's take a long walk. And they walked for a long time. And then there came a point where God said to Enoch, it's getting late in the afternoon. We're actually closer to my house than we are to your house. Why don't you come home with me? And so Enoch went home with God. That's how the little girl explained it to her mum. Walking with God, that, that sums up this story better than any theologian could, I think. Walking with God implies friendship, progression, and it also implies, in the end, ultimate satisfaction. So, that, that's a little bit about walking with God. In the Bible, I think it's used as a description for walking through life in, a, in an intimate relationship with the Father God because of Jesus. What was my second question? Who can do it? Okay, I want to spend a bit more time on this one and then we'll finish. The third point is a quicker one. Who can do it? So, I'm a minister of the church and um, I talk to a lot of people and when you boil it down, right down to basics, one of the greatest and simplest objections that people have against Christianity is this one. You ready? It's too hard. It's too hard. So we're going to spend the longest time on this one because this is what stirred my heart. It is just too difficult to live life in a relationship with God, life's too complicated. For goodness sake, it's too confusing. There are too many obstacles. If I try, when I try to live as a Christian believer, it'll make me unhappy. And if there is a God, anyway, why doesn't He make Himself clearer? I try to live like a Christian, but God seems so far away. He's such a hard taskmaster. It's too difficult and also so many other people i know don't believe in god and if he was real surely they would and there's many clever people who seem to think that somehow science has disproved the bible and when i watch tv and talk to my friends it just seems that there's an assumption that anyone who claims to believe in god is either stupid or a bit simple or very gullible it is just too hard to be a Christian in this, in this day and age, it's not intelligent. I, I mean, I don't want to come out and say that I'm not a believer. There might be something in it, but it just seems too hard. Does that resonate with you? There's nothing new about this. People have been saying the same thing for centuries. But here is a man, right back on page, what was it? Seven of the Bible? Before Abraham, before the Bible was even written, what does it say about him? He walked with God. Here is a man who booked the tram. Who can walk with God? Well, Enoch could. The Bible tells us twice. Enoch walked with God. If Enoch shows us anything, he shows us that it's not too hard to walk with God, but is in actual fact gloriously possible. What a great epitaph over a man's life, and what a shining example of the possibility of truly walking with God through life. There are many reasons why Enoch might not have walked with God. He could have said, Man, I'm so busy. You ever ever feel like that? Some people think that if you're going to be a true Christian, you need to stop the world for a bit and get off. And have a good long think. And then get back on. Um, The pathway to being a holy person who walks with God is one of retreat silence and meditation one day I will find the path after I've been quiet and thought about it for long enough there's nothing wrong with thinking I did a little bit of thinking recently as you know and it was good but some people think that you can't really be walking with God if your life is busy but Enoch wasn't a monk or a hermit he wasn't even celibate he was a red blooded normal man who was busy Did you read what it said in the text? After he became the father of Methuselah, one child's enough, isn't it? Those of you who are parents. Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. That means he had at least five kids. I've got five. But when it says other sons and other daughters, and he's got Methuselah to start with, he's got at least five kids. I would imagine he has more than that. So I don't think this guy's got a quiet life, do you? Just reading between the lines, we don't told much about him, but he is a busy father. He's living in this world, doing the things that dads do, but it says about him twice that he walked with God, so his busyness wasn't an excuse. One of my fears about our modern culture, as some of you know, is the way that your family can be your God in a way I think we live in an age where for some people everything revolves around their children parents live to please their children when actually they should be teaching them to please their parents shouldn't they In the busyness of life, there's no time for God. My children, my children, my children. It's life so busy. Enoch was busy, but he walked with God. Actually, for Enoch, there's something very significant in this text because it says in verse 22, he lived for 65 years and then he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. What was he doing for the 65 years before that? when his first child came along at that point something changed and he was provoked stared and from the point of the birth of his first child he walked with God it's interesting is isn't it rather than his children being his little mini God it seems like becoming a parent for him was a spur to his faith maybe becoming a father somehow brought him to the place where he sought God and the responsibility of fatherhood stayed him interesting, thought provoking so first reason he might not have worked with God because he he could have been busy but that wasn't an obstacle to him secondly he could have just followed the crowd couldn't he there's a whole load of people in this list but Enoch stands out as the odd one out there's another list in chapter 4 But only Enoch, of all these people, in all these lists, it says, walked with God. In the New Testament, we're told in the book of Jude that Enoch tried to speak into his generation about God. Maybe it cost him. It does seem that there were elements of violence and corruption. And even in those days, people were speaking harsh words against God and presumably against anyone who tried to follow God. Jesus said, didn't he, that if they, if, they, if they hated Jesus, they would hate his followers. I, th- I think that the true followers of God can often be an offense to people. Um, but th- this idea of following the crowd, last week I was, the, the retreat I was having was I went to look after my sister-in-law's farm. It was very pleasant. I didn't see another human being from Sunday to Friday. I saw the top of the postman's van drive past, but I never actually saw another human being for a whole week. And as I walked on the fields, I was reflecting on the sheep. Because we often say, don't we, you know, people can be like sheep. It's not a good trait to be a sheep, is it? Sheep are a bit stupid. And they kind of follow the crowd. And if you're a sheep, you know... That means you're someone who can't think for yourself somehow and you just follow the crowd. Enoch wasn't a sheep in that sense. He was a man who walked with God rather than just blended in to the culture that he was in. Can I just say this as a little aside? Do you know what, what I think one of the biggest issues for us is as Christian believers? That this idea... That, and it's a 2 one in many ways that there are so many nice people who are not Christians who are happy and kind and I just want to be like that and not be too extreme about things and if I walk with God too seriously it, it feels like I'm condemning other people who seem quite nice to me when I do that and I I wonder whether that kind of comparative questioning is one of the biggest temptations that dulls our sharpness and our holiness and our desire to walk truly, sincerely, fervently vigorously with God we hold back because we don't want to look like we're uncool or too black and white or whatever I don't want to give simplistic answers to that and I've agonized over this myself but I do want to identify that as an issue and call you back to think about am I really walking with God or am I just blending in with the nice people around me I I fear that we're often far too easily influenced and fail to pursue walking with God as vigorously as we should but there's an even bigger perspective here to all of that and I want to get it here from chapter 5. Um, so the third reason why Enoch might not have walked with God is that he would have just given in to the just overwhelming sense of the way life is in terms of the curse that God pronounced in the early chapters of Genesis, just like everyone else. Why does the writer write this chapter like he does? Why did I ask Tim to read it? There's so many big names here. The reason the writer writes this chapter like he does, I think, is because of the repetition and the cycle of life and death that is described here. Let's just get, if you've got your Bible open there on page 7, let's just look into chapter Um, 5. You know the story, I don't need to over it. The early chapters of Genesis are very tragic. God creates this amazing and good world he warned our first parents that if they disobeyed they would die and after being tempted to think that God was being hard on them they, they fell and in chapter 3 God speaks to Adam and Eve and to the serpent the devil and he pronounces judgment and curses on them and on creation and actually on evil itself. And for the first time, as we've seen, they know guilt and shame and alienation. But as the story unfolds, there's murder and violence. Cain kills his brother Abel. And in chapter 4, what you have is a description of how Cain's family turns out. And it's not pretty. When we get to chapter 5, the writer says, this is the written account of Adam's line. Now, you, you could translate that as I wonder what became of Adam's family not, not the Adam's family <laughs> that's not that Adam's family you won't be able to get that out of your minds you? I wonder what became of Adam's family we've heard about Cain's family and we know what happened in chapter 3 God said they would die I wonder what became of them this is what Facebook is for isn't it you find your old school friends and you stalk them And you wonder, I wonder what happened to Johnny Smith or Sally Jones. I knew what they were like at school. I wonder what became of them. And then you look at all the photographs and yeah, I knew it. (laughs) Or, oh, that's a surprise. I never thought he'd turn out like that. Chapter 5 is picking up on this theme. Cases have been pronounced by God. God said there would be death. What happened to Adam? Did he die? Or did he ever get back to what he'd lost? Did the curses get him in the end, or did he somehow find a way to overcome them? I wonder what became of Adam. That is the point of chapter 5. And it begins so gloriously. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. When they created, he called them man, or mankind, or human. This is a restatement of creation. In other words, God is a father. He created them to be like him so that the whole of creation would look at Adam and Eve and say, look at that, like father, like son. He blesses them. He tells them to be fruitful. But what became of Adam's family? Well, they did multiply. Adam lived 130 years. He had his son in his own likeness, like father, like son. He named him Seth after Seth was born. Adam lived for 800 Wow, as we're looking at Facebook, he's had a good life there. Adam has me. And altogether, Adam lived 930 years. Oh, bosh. And then he died. They did get him in the end. That's the point of chapter 5. But it goes on and on like that. The stability of it is a great blessing. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. The whole chapter is like one big graveyard, isn't it? One writer says, where did it all go, we wonder? Only yesterday I was young and running through the fields. Vast multitudes of people have been born Bearing the image of God, originals, every one of them, so beautiful, so full of potential, but they've been plowed under. The rains have washed their names from the tombstones, their bones are no more. Death spreads its dark cloud over these bright hopes, and the cycle went on and on and on. And he died, and he died, and he died. What became of Adam's family? They lived, they had children, and they died. They had the stamp of God's image on them. They had the mark of fruitfulness on them. And then they died. They had such potential for glory. And yet now this messy mixture of blessing and life and curses and death. They're existing in a world that goes on and on in a life of cycle. It's life, death. This is the elephant in the room. Whatever we do or don't do, in the end we all die. We know so much of God's blessing and goodness, but it is all broken and in the end it ends in tears. We're a shadow of what God intended life to be like. So Enoch could have been busy, but he walked with God. He could have followed the crowd, but he walked with God. He could so easily have been overwhelmed by this cycle of existence, life and death, and swallowed up in that, but he isn't right in the middle of this graveyard chapter. We're told that Enoch walked with God. The children of men, designed and created by God, blessed by him, fall prey to a curse, but there is hope here in the face of death one writer says walking with God is the key to the chains of the curse imagine that if you want to escape the effects of sin and curse the answer is found right here what you need more than anything else in all the world is to walk with God far from it being hard and difficult it is actually the solution do you get that Enoch didn't die all the others did But he didn't. It doesn't happen to everyone, of course. But this is an example that walking with God is the antidote to death itself. Another writer says, the sense of the author here is clear. Enoch is an example of someone who found life amid the curse of death. In Enoch, the author is able to show that the pronouncement of death is not the last word that needs to be said about a man's life. One can find life if one walks with God. For the author then, a door is left open here for the return to the tree of life in the garden. Enoch found that door as he walked with God and in doing so has become a paradigm for all who seek to find life. I've, I've done some work as a school governor and uh, I'm sure many of you will agree one of the issues that's a real big one in, in many of our schools is, is often the lack of aspiration that, that some children have. Kids are often caught in, in a cycle of low achievement, low aspiration and if you ask a child what will you be when you grow up The answers are often shaped by their expectations. What my dad did, what my granddad did, what my great granddad did. It simply doesn't occur to them that there are other possibilities. Low aspirations. What the school has been doing in recent years is to ask people who live in the area to come into the school and just talk about what they do. It's a good idea. They're not high-powered jobs necessarily. But the idea is to sow seeds in the children's minds. This person lives on my street. And look at what they do for a job. I could do that. And it kind of lifts the aspiration, the expectation. That is what chapter five is about here. Against a backdrop of low expectation. And he died, anti died, anti died. Enoch is like the shining star who comes into the school and we go, Whoa, I could do that. The fact that Enoch could walk with God means that you can walk with God. Do not fall for the lie that walking with God is too difficult. Don't be too busy. Don't follow the crowd. And don't be overwhelmed by the grim reality of life and death. If Enoch can walk with God, you can walk with God. I said we'd spend a bit longer on that. Let's turn to our final question. What, what What is it? Um, what was the second question? Pardon? Who can do it? That was it. The last question is, how do you do it? In the New Testament, there's a little comment on Enoch's life. And I just want to go here as we close. Hebrews chapter 11. So we're on page 1209. Hebrews chapter 11 is a long list of people in the Old Testament who were great heroes of faith. And it speaks about Enoch right here. We don't know a lot about him. But in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says this. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away for before he was taken he was commanded as one who pleased God and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and must believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him How do you do it? Well, here's a little clue. A large part of the answer, I think, is we do it by believing God. What, what, how does the writer here define faith? Our culture defines faith in all sorts of bizarre ways. What does the Bible say about faith here? It says, um, there's another slide That's all what faith is. Faith has these two ingredients. You need to believe that God is real and you need to believe that God is responsive. That's what the writer to the Hebrews says here. You, You can't please God if you don't believe he's real or you do believe he's real and think that he's impotent and unresponsive. If you're going to please God, you need to believe that he exists and that he will respond, and does respond. When I stop and think about that formula, every single attack on Christianity in the end comes down to this. Every temptation that you will know in your life is rooted right here. When you dig away all the guff and you bring it right down to basics... Every temptation comes down to this. It is either a temptation to believe that God does not exist or that if he does exist, he won't respond. If we can be persuaded to think that either God is not real or that he is not responsive, we won't have true faith, it will be impossible to please him and we won't be able to walk with him. This, this has stirred my own heart too because it greatly simplifies my task. My job here as a minister is to do many things, but you could sum up the whole function of what I'm doing here as this, to work and pastor and teach and preach in such a way as leads you to trust in both the reality and the responsiveness of God to you. That's it. Full stop. (laughs) That greatly simplifies what we're about here as a church family. The songs we sing, the teaching we provide, the way we live. Everything must point to this to stimulate and nurture and undergird and protect and fan into flame your faith. Our friendships as Christian believers must be orientated this way. Are we fighting for this together? well we've seen what walking with God should look like we've seen that despite every obstacle known to man Enoch did it and that gives us hope that we, you too can do it and now we've seen that the way to walk with God is to trust him this is a new life standing in a new identity and walking with God in a new relationship let me close with the words of the Old Testament prophet it will come up on the screen here behind me he has shown you O man what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God may it be so To his praise and glory.